Well, good morning to each of you. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's been good to be together in these last several days and in a different setting, in different ways. I trust this morning that our surroundings will be a benefit and not a distraction. Um, many things in life want to call our attention and our focus away from where it should be sometimes. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 13 for a introductory passage of Scripture. <clears throat> Genesis 13, verses 8 to 13. says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. This is breaking into the saga of, of Abram and, and his journeyings and his life experience there. And there was a need for something to happen. Because this group of of animals, the shepherds, I don't know how many animals and how many men, we aren't told here, but in the next chapter when Lot was captured by those kings and taken away, it says Abram took with him of his trained men 318 armed men. Now, there were four other men that went with him, but this is a big time farming operation, nomadic farming. Herdman. There needed something happen here, and, and Abram said, look, we need to depart from each other. We're, we're, our, our herdmen are fighting over, the, over things. He said, you choose. Where do you want to go? I will take what's left. Lot set his gaze to probably the most productive land in the area. He lifted up his gaze and he saw that, that valley. Productive land. There he could prosper. Was there anything wrong with that? I don't think so. There's nothing wrong with, with wanting to prosper and do well. But I'd like us to think of where that took Lot. What was his focus? 
the result of that lifting up and that gaze toward something that maybe wasn't wrong in and of itself drew him down a path, then the end cost him pretty much everything but his life. If we go to Hebrews 11, I'd like to read there a bit of the commentary that God gives us of Abraham. In Hebrews 11, 8 to 16. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You notice there, there's also a looking, a focus. Just as Lot looked for something. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all, Abraham and and Sarah and those listed before, died in faith, not having received the promises But having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city." A title for for the message could be Focus and Destiny. What we focus on will become or lead to our destiny. We see here that Abraham had a different focus. Yes, he wanted to prosper too. But he was willing to put that into God's hands and trust that he could prosper wherever he was. Abraham was looking by faith, I think to a, with a more eternal perspective. God will take care of me. I'm but a stranger in this land. If we continue reading in Hebrews 11, on down, jumping to verse 24 and following a few verses, it talks about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is is invisible." This verse, in verse 27, this phrase, as seeing him who is invisible, has stuck out to me for some time. The Strong's definition of of the word here that is is, uh, translated 
as seeing is, it says, properly to stare at. That is, by implication, to discern clearly. By extension, to attend to. Behold, perceive, see, or take heed. And I like that, that to discern clearly. Somehow Moses was able to get a clear picture of the reward of being faithful to God that surpassed anything that Egypt had to offer, even as a prince in Egypt. He could see. He set his eyes on something else. The eyes of his heart, perhaps. And what an impact it makes if we can, by faith, glimpse a vision of our Father in heaven. As Moses was able to see that, he was able to endure that exile and that threat of death on his life. When he made that choice, I don't think he had any idea where those choices would lead, but I'm sure that he was persuaded that he had made the right choice long before God brought him in before Pharaoh to perform mighty signs and wonders. I think it was settled in his heart. He looked past the temporal and had a vision of, of an eternal reward. Another usage of this, this Greek word here that is, is translated as seeing, and that is in 3 John verse 11, it says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God, has not clearly discerned God. If we understand a bit of who God is, it will, it will change our lives. And it will change our focus. A few more verses from Hebrews 11. Thinking about those in the, in the Old Testament that, that had an eternal perspective perhaps. A faith, a focus on God. Verse 32, And what shall I say? more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. That accepting is also a word for looking to deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection, and others had a trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. These were failures, outcasts. This last 
sentence or two, right? They wandered about. They didn't have anything but the clothes on their back, it sounds like. But it says that these all, having obtained a good report through faith, while they didn't receive the full promises of God experienced in their, in their perfection in their lives, they obtained a good report. They focused on what God had promised. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Christ had not come. They had not seen that plan of salvation worked out. But they knew that God was working in His own will and way, and they put their faith in Him. That what He did was right. Continuing in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think as we consider these, these heroes of faith in the past, it should encourage us and challenge us as to what view we're taking. Do we have a view that looks beyond today, next week, next month? What are we willing to give up here and now that will hinder us in being able to experience the blessing of God now and in eternity? Maybe it even calls for action that some might consider radical. Where is our focus? Are you embracing a faith in God's eternal promises and perspective? Or are you captivated by the prosperity and the glitter of Sodom? Of, of something appealing? that is not God-honoring. In Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13, it says, Then shall ye call upon me, and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all your heart. I had to think about that as, as I was thinking of, of how we turn to God and, and seek God. Sometimes it seems like God is, is far away. We may be facing difficulties, questions, discouragement, tough times. But you know, God doesn't play hide and seek. He just says, seek. But if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. How often do I give up too soon? So how does this, this focus, some of these things apply to us today? I'd like to just help think a little bit in some, some physical terms. How many of you like to walk 
or drive with your eyes shut? Any takers? We need our eyes open to see where we're going. And you know, we tend to go where we're looking. If we turn our eyes and we start looking and off at something along the side of the road, we're probably not going to stay on the road. When doing field work, those of us without the GPS, we need to use our eyes to make sure that we're covering the ground, that we're planting the straight rows, or if we're cultivating, that we're on track. The surest way to get off track is to look around or to look back. Granted, we do need to look back once in a while to make sure that we know where we came from so we know where we're going. And we also need to look to see that we are on track. You know, it's always, uh, if you think you got your cultivator set right and you go from one end of the field to the other and haven't looked back and you realize that, oops, something got out of alignment and you took out a row or two the whole way through, that's, that's pretty sad. And sometimes we do need to look back and analyze our lives briefly those that have gone before us, perhaps, look into history and say, was I on track? Have they been on track? We tend to drift to where our focus is, though. In thinking of focus, there's a, a little bit of some history that I would like to, to read. I'm, I'm reading a book that is stimulating in many ways and thought-provoking as I, as I consider the history of Mennonites in, in America. And this is a broad-brush Mennonite. includes a lot of the, those from the Dutch-Russian background as well, and, and I think that's where this comes from. Um, but, but listen to some of the focus in this man's pursuits and desires and thinking. He was one that did a fair bit of writing, I believe, at the turn of the 19th century. Henry C. Smith, he said, Smith interpreted Anabaptist Mennonite history in terms of American Protestantism, Jeffersonian democracy, and social Darwinism. He believed the genius of Anabaptist Mennonitism was akin to the best and most glorious features of America. Individuality and freedom of conscience. Above all, he wrote, the 16th century Anabaptists were intensely individualistic. They suffered persecution because they got a, were ahead of their times. Like America, like America Mennonitism had grown from the aspirations of the common man. It had, just, it had found renewal in repeated experiences of pioneering, just as the westward movement of civilization had kept the race young and hopeful. Smith wrote, So the pioneer life of the Mennonite church has kept her with all her conservative instincts, yet a church of material prosperity and spiritual progress. And that you don't have all the background of, of what's around that. But this thing of, of seeing America as, as God's land and we are here as Mennonite people and we're going to make it even better. Um, 
we are America. America's us, and we're going to help it be better. Where was the focus? Was it the kingdom of God or some other track? Listen further here. In some of his shorter works, popular essays... However, in brief or more popular essays, he was like many writers of his day, uncritical, nationalistic, and racist in his vision for progressive and Christian America. He taught a benevolent providence had guided both Anabaptist and American development, that providence had provided for America's discovery, quote, in the fullness of time. It had arranged for America to be settled by Anglo-Saxons, quote, the choicest men then known in the world. In America's greatest crisis at Civil War, God had raised up Abraham Lincoln. Wisely rejecting constitutional and diplomatic solutions, Lincoln had resorted to the only means possible, namely force of arms. More recently, the chief threats to America were undesirable immigrants, overly prolific blacks, and the struggle between labor and capital. Now, if America were to fulfill its providential mission, it had to, quote, Keep pure both its Anglo-Saxon blood and its Christian ideals. This is a man that had a faith very similar to our forefathers. That's what he had been taught. But his focus was shifting from what does the kingdom of God look like, I believe, and really taking a scriptural view of, of the kingdom of God to how can, how can we change and in bringing this nationalistic, kind of a, a political slant to the work of the church. And it just, it stuck out to me as I was pondering this focus. What was a focus? Was it about converting men from the, the path of sin by the power of Christ to walk of holiness? Or was it about impressing a dogma onto others. And if you follow the end of this theology, you have a acculturation and finally assimilation into culture. Those groups that followed that mentality of focus no longer hold practically any Christian identity. It was a focus that had ramifications. Spiritually, we need to evaluate. I need to evaluate. Do I really love God with all my heart? Are my responses to others Christ-like? Am I keeping the covenants I have made? Covenants with the Lord, with the church, my wife, which city has my enthusiasm? The city that hath foundations or the city here on this earth? As we think back to Lot, in 2 Peter 2, verse 8, 
verse 7, it says, Peter says, And, and God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot is called a just man and a righteous man. But as I mentioned earlier, his choices cost him everything but his life. His focus and not only did he ca- he uh, cast his tent toward Sodom, he ended up sitting in the gate of Sodom. He was involved in, in the city life there. And a verse, a few verses in Ezekiel I've mentioned before, but I'd like to consider them again here as we think of, of that focus toward Sodom. Ezekiel 16:49 says, "Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom: pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me, wherefore I took them away as I saw good." I don't know what all Sodom portrays. But I would have to ask, what am I pursuing? What are you pursuing? Am I trying to make a living or amass a fortune? If we look at, at Sodom, it says here pride was, was one of the, 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 paramount, the, the first things mentioned here. Pride, I think, was overarching. I've got it together. I don't need God. Fullness of bread. How many of us have plenty to eat and more than enough to eat? And that's not wrong. That's a blessing of God. But what can that lead to? Because when there's fullness of bread and we don't need to work for bread anymore, we don't need to look for bread, we become idle. And this idleness created a culture of immorality and we don't know what all was there in Sodom. But it seems to me that as you look at these, this definition that, that a prosperous pursuit led to their downfall in the end. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Riches aren't wrong, but a trust in them is. And I yeah, this is this is something that I believe we all whether we think about it consciously or not, we all have to make choices and decisions about on a regular basis. How much do I need? How much is enough? I appreciated the 
the thoughts that Chad shared last night on contentment. Because that is a huge key in how we pursue and what we pursue and why we pursue. What we focus on. Am I living to serve others or to gratify self? Most sins stem from pride, which is lifting up myself and justifying myself. And what I want, it's what Achan did. I want that. I coveted and I took. We may, we may lie to cover up ourselves, cover up our reputation, keep our reputation from being soiled. And I would like to, to help us as parents here consider, you know, we have a lot of children here today. I was looking at my the, the spreadsheet that was put together of our congregation's normal attendance and those children of our families. Some of you I told the number. There are 43 from Sonia down to Evelyn and Elsie. And I would say this, that the example that we leave in focus will likely be multiplied in our children. If we tolerate something, they likely will embrace it. What is our focus? What principles are we standing on? Are we focusing on material things Having a good time, entertainment, do I practice self-gratification or self-denial? Something we, we all have desires, we all want things. More is caught than taught, but you have to teach a young child, and then you have to live it so they can continue to catch it. If my children see me eating eight marshmallows at a sitting, are they going to eat any less? Sixteen, I don't know how many you eat. I choose none, but I don't like them. I don't judge someone else that eats them. But my children watch me, and I know that I have many, many areas that I have, have not lived up to my desire, and times that I have needed to repent of attitudes and, and actions. But you know, the things that we do, the things we eat, the things we listen to, the things we watch, what we support, what we talk about, what we dream about, what we take pleasure in. It's our focus. 
and it's caught and it has implications. Second Corinthians four seventeen and eighteen says For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Sometimes I just want to wring my hands and say, God, why did you make us like you have? We have physical bodies. We have, we have temporal things all about us, and we have to work. We have to eat. We have to live. We have to buy. We have to sell. We have to sleep. Why do we have to do all these things when they're just things that are fleeting and going to be gone? If the eternal is really what matters. And so often it's easy to create lines in our minds of, well, this is spiritual and this is physical. It's Sunday, so we'll talk about church and helping people. And Monday morning, we got to get back to the job. And I don't think it's a conscious choice so often. It's just, it's just the way we, we can be, speaking for myself. But you know, God has given us earth. These temporal things, I believe, is a partly. It's, it's a test to see where our spirits focus is and Satan would take all that God has made good and corrupt it take the the good desires and turn them into lustful appetites Colossians 3 1 to 3 says if ye then be risen with Christ seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your focus on God's ways, God's truth. I have to think about how many things of the, the law of God the spiritual law, the, the, the law in Christ, the life of Christ, how, while Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, to stop and realize how many blessings there are to living a godly, righteous life in this life, even if there were no eternal, everlasting life. The pain, the sorrow of broken relationships and divorce. The, 
the issues that come with substance abuse, a blight on humanity, and simply following God's, God's ways protects from that. But our focus is to be on things above. And I would, I would just like to draw our, our focus to Jesus, that author and finisher of our faith, and how many times we are called to have a focus that is remembering the Lord's return and living life here in light of that. The thought of this focus of looking for, this desire to see, waiting. In Luke 2, there's two people that said we're looking for something. In verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That waiting for is also translated other places, looking for. They were expectantly anticipating God's visiting His people and fulfilling His promise of a Savior. And the story goes there that that when Jesus was brought in by His parents, that He knew God spoke in His Spirit, this is it. And He took Him up in His arms and blessed God. And continuing down, it says there was one Anna, Describes her a bit and it says she was she was a very faithful woman in her, her prayers and her service. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto God and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Those that were looking for the Savior found him. What are we looking for? Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so, was one, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. The ESV translates verse 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Sin has been dealt with, but are we looking for Him? Are we looking for His return? Are we eagerly waiting? 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Love is appearing. That brings, again, that desire, that eager anticipation. How does that affect us? In Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We can see it. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, those passions for things, maybe good and right things, but to, a, to an extreme, 
We should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. Here again, looking for, where is our focus? We look for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Jude encourages that in the last time there will be mockers, those that are walking after their own ungodly lust, their own focus on self and fulfilling selfish desires. It says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. A focus on the return of Christ and being faithful in our heart's pursuit, our heart's desires. And finally, a passage in 2 Peter 3, verses 11 to 14. It says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. My desire and prayer for each of us is that we, as we stand there, on the hill overlooking the plain of Jordan, that we would not be drawn to the prosperity, the pleasure-seeking, the self-gratification, of Sodom, but that we would seek that city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. As I was meditating, I, I thought of this poem, and maybe it doesn't fit exactly, but I'd like us to consider it in our focus it's well known. It's a song. The prayer of St. Francis of Assisi says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. That sow being plant, broadcast, distribute love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born 
to eternal life. What is your focus? It will determine your destiny.